Some call me Steve, Dad, Husband or Friend. Others might call me Boss, Coach or Mentor. Today you can call me the Leadership Hacker. Thanks for listening in, I really appreciate it. My job as the Leadership Hacker is to hack into the minds, experiences, habits and learning of great leaders, C-suite executives, authors and development experts so that I can assist you developing your understanding and awareness of leadership. I'm Steve Rush and I'm your host today. I'm the author of Leadership Cake, I'm a transformation consultant and leadership coach and can't wait to start sharing all things leadership with you. I'm joined on today's show by Simon Tyler. Simon's an inspirational, motivational speaker, author, and business coach. But before we get to speak with Simon, it's a Leadership Hacker News. Numerous articles and research papers have been written over the last few years about developing culture in teams and business. Where high levels of good culture were observed, there was a common thread across all of these articles, and it may be less obvious than other behaviours. Where leaders showed and valued innovation and finding new ways of working, it's led to significant higher levels of retention of staff and a higher than average level of engagement. So why is innovation for leadership and leading others so key? Leaders who promote and recognise innovation create and cultivate other visionaries, which of course will lead to new ideas and efficiencies but deeper than that will motivate people around them and turn their ideas into solutions and outcomes. Giving control of innovation is the first step. Leaders don't need all of the answers and ideas, but do need to recognise ideation and innovation in others. It plays to our intrinsic motivation, and that's what makes us tick. So creativity in this case is less important than leading innovation through others. Here's an example of two new innovations that I found really interesting. Having recently found our podcast charting on Spotify, I also found that Spotify had been innovative in thinking outside the box when it comes to finding new audiences. And of course, podcasts is one of them. But a new emerging audience is our four-legged friend community. Spotify has now created playlists for dogs and pet owners. Their research suggests that approximately 74% of owners of pets play music for them, in particular when they're left on their own. In other innovation news, most leaders can relate to the fact that being healthy in mind and body will help them make better business decisions. Folks at FitTrack.com have created the ultimate health measurement tool to assist leaders and others in keeping fit and well. When you stand on a FitTrack scale, a very low, safe electrical signal is sent from four metal electrodes through your feet into your legs and abdomen. The electrical signal passes quickly through the water that's present in our hydrated muscle tissue and then meets resistance when it hits fat. So it can not only measure body fat, but also measures muscle, bone mass, hydration and other things to help us keep a track of our vital functions. And in turn, helps us focus on what areas of our diet, exercise, nutrition we need to focus on. And of course, health and well-being are key components of all great leaders. That's been our Leadership Hacker News. If you have any news, insights or information you'd like to share with us, please contact us through our social media sites. I'm joined today by Simon Tyler. Simon Tyler is one of the most experienced coaches in the world. He's an author of five books and is now a prolific writer and blogger. He's the author of the Impact Book, the Keep It Simple Book, Impact Code, The Simple Way, and the Attitude Book. 
Simon, welcome to the show. Thank you, Steve. Good to be here. Now, there are three kind of themes that seem to parallel across uh, your writing, and that's impact, attitude, and simplicity. That just happened by chance, or is that through experience? Um, chance, you'd say. I've, the whole of my journey, as perhaps we'll uncover in some of this conversation, is I've allowed my life and my journey to unravel and accept whatever shows up. But it started very much with simplicity, being called Simon. Unsurprisingly to some of the listeners, I was a curse of being simple Simon through most of my life. That's what people called me, simple Simon, and I railed against it all the way through. I remember in my teens, was desperately trying to prove to people, no, I'm complicated. I'm really complicated and pushed back against it, pushed back against it. And I was working with a coach from the US. She was in, in New England and she and I did some work together and her name was Kate. And we jokingly called ourselves Simple Simon and Complicate, um, which of course is very funny. But it was about me accepting simplicity as perhaps the hill on which I stand. And it wasn't until I was coached by a guy called Druzel, and that was probably 10 years ago, where he simply challenged me. He said, why don't you just accept it? I said, what do you mean? He says, just accept the fact that you're Simple Simon. And there was a stony silence in the conversation. And I just allowed it to be there for a minute. I thought, well, maybe you're right. And from that point on, I was much easier with that moniker and accepted it. And out of that, I thought, well, maybe that is what I do. That's, that's the impact I have with people when I rock up. I tend to ask the really simple question. I try and pull my clients or the teams or whoever I'm working with just back to, you know, what's really going on? And that's always informed me in the way I go about things. If ever I get stuck, I always go back to simplicity. How can I make this a little bit more simple? And that starts the moment again. So that's a huge answer to your question, Steve, but that's simplicity was the start and everything else has sort of spun on from there. And simplicity is really complicated to get to, and we'll kind of unpick some of the reasons why that may be in a moment. You talked a lot about being coached. So how did you end up being a coach yourself? A long time back, I was a director of a consultancy company, and one of the big projects for a client I remember putting together is I put together a team of, we called them coaches. And this was probably in the mid to late 1990s, where really the phrase coach wasn't something that was common in a business setting. And whilst, if we were to look back, they didn't really conduct coaching as we would now understand it to be, it was more about understanding the skill gap and helping people fix a skill gap. It was quite interesting that coaching then was sticking around me as a word. I, I left that consultancy company in 2000 and in not knowing where to go myself, I engaged a coach again in the US because that's where the, there were much more supply of coaches. And I was coached for a period of time. And once I'd got over my ridiculous Britishness of not really answering the question that they were asking, I really got so much from it. And it was a profound shift. And as we all look back, you know, where are the big shifts in your life? That was definitely one working with that was Scott Wintrip. And he challenged me or helped me realize that the way in which I dialogue with people, the outcome of the conversations that people have with me, he says, in essence, it's coaching dialogue. Consider building a coaching practice. 
thought, okay, I will. So I began in 2000. I set up and I backed out of quite a lot of consulting client work and thought, right, I'm, I'm a coach. Here I am. Come on, everybody. Come and be coached. And that was a, a slow old journey trying to convince people what a coach was first before they agreed to coach with me. So that's the way my coaching began. And it was a slow process, picking up a client here and a client there, not really knowing what fees to charge, so therefore not really making it a brilliantly viable coaching business. But I, I carried on going, and it just opened up more and more dialogues. And it's fair to say if you roll the clock forward, you've now coached hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of people. If there was perhaps... Indeed. One theme that you can see that's maybe more consistent than not, what would you say that was? Well, it's, it's, it's interesting what shows up. And I've, I've thought about, well, what is it? The dialogues that people have had with me for the bulk of the growth period of me as a coach were around leaders in transition. So they were people who'd been spotted as talent, as potential for growth in them in their, in organizations, but Broadly speaking, the companies didn't know what to do with them other than give them more training and send them on more workshops and so on and so forth. And it was me in conversation saying, well, these people should be coached. And at the point, that client used the phrase coaching to describe a remedial action for somebody who wasn't performing well in their role. I thought, that's really interesting because that's not who I coach. I coach people who want to grow, who aspire to something bigger, better, to be more themselves and to have more impact. And they said, okay, we'll do it. And, and they, in essence, risked the first pilot wave, which was a group of 12 people. I coached all 12. And all of them, to varying degrees, had a significant change effect as a result of the dialoguing with me. So I'd say one of the pieces, therefore, and a lot came from that, was people in transition. People ready to move or not sure of where they are or exploring what's next. And it's that sort of dialoguing that perhaps formed the, the rump of the work I did through the early 2000s. That's great to hear. And in my experience also of coaching people in similar transitioning, these are people who have already been identified as talent. So they, they have the raw capabilities. It just needs unlocking through that dialogue, right? Yeah, indeed. Uh, and again, it goes back to my simple question, sometimes just tapping, asking the question that people maybe have half, half asked in their own heads. And the thing with questions that you ask yourself, my observation over the years is that you never truly answer it fully yourself. You might reach a difficult point in the thought and stop, or you might part, part answer it and then leave it there. And it's only when you're in dialogue with somebody one-to-one -one who, like me and like, like yourself, I'm sure, and other coaches, will just sit in that space and hold you to that question that your answer gets bigger, deeper, broader, and goes to more places, and more gets unlocked. What do you think the reason is that we don't take it to the nth degree or that next set of questions when we try a bit of self-coaching? Well, life is very busy, and... And my clients, I'm sure similar groups to the, the people that you work with, there's a lot going on. There's uh, one of the things I wrote about, I think it's in the Keep a Simple book, is Control-Alt-Delete, which is a function that we're all very familiar with on the computer. If you press Control-Alt-Delete, you have a look at all the programs that are running any one particular time on your, on your PC. 
And it's the same in people's heads. It, and I metaphorically try and help people work that through. If we did a control or delete, there's a lot going on. So thought to try and manage our own thinking, it's a tough ask. If we've got a lot on, well, we're trying to hold ourselves to a particularly deep question. The brain is going to start popping around with other stuff and lead us off in another direction. And there are many. Uh, I'm so I'm so delighted that in 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 years where we've got to today, mindfulness has been grasped by almost every organisation. It's 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 a way that we can Im improve the way that we connect with ourselves and release creativity and so on. Any step on mindfulness will bear fruit. And the mindfulness technique is to just be aware of all the thoughts that are going on and learn, build the muscle up. Just, just sit with just one thought. And it's not standard practice. It's not we human beings tend to take on a lot physically and in our thinking. There's a lot going on. Back to my control or delete. If you're sitting there trying to think about a profound career changing question and there's someone knocking at your front door, you're not there. You, you, your mind's going to drift away. And that's a very simple example, but that describes it if that helps. And in the workplace, I guess, the same plays out, doesn't it? So I wonder what's the reason that people find it so difficult to keep things simple? Again, it's the, it's the volume of stuff that's going on in, in the world we're in now. People tend to be responsible for, for many things and not just many different things, just the variety of of them that needs to be involved in all of their job remit. It just varies so much from a quiet conversation to support someone to a bit of deep calculation type thinking. Uh, and that could be, they could be butting up against each other and asking yourself to make that mental shift all the way through the day and to sit quietly and take on, as I say, some of these more challenging, potentially breakthrough questions and, and breakthrough thinking, it's often it's in the too difficult box. And I, I notice people push it out. Or I'll do that when. When I get my next clear day, I'm going to do that. I'll clear all the appointments out on Thursday and I'll do it on Thursday. No, you won't. It's now. Yeah. Yeah. And it's, it's clever procrastination. And it's, it's not a bad thing because what's that wonderful expression somebody used to use many years ago, which is, Busy people look more important than important people. And there's, there's a, an intense busyness, I notice, because there's a lot to be done. There, there's so much to be done. There's never going to be enough time to do everything you really want to achieve. So one of my, the outcomes of people working with me is I'll get people to just pare some of that back. What? It sounds obvious, but you know what's really important? What do you really want to achieve here? And there's lots of techniques. I've written about those sort of things in a number of different ways in all of the books, just trying to just shift the way my readers and my clients and the listeners to my podcast just slowly pare back the noise that's going on so they can get to the important stuff. Thank you, Simon. That's really insightful. And uh, I think our listeners will resonate with that where they struggle with their own thinking about how simple they're keeping things or indeed how, in, how complicated they're making things. You absolutely know. People will know when they've reached that point of it's just complicated. They're in a complicated zone. And there's a distinction between complicated and complex. Some things are 
understandably and necessarily so, complex. But complicated causes stuff inside us. When we're in a zone of life has become complicated or our thinking has become complicated, that's when we can't think a thought for very long or we start to feel less than great. Our creativity gets stifled. We get caught. Just our mood shifts and all of the stuff I've written about, our attitude changes when we're caught, caught in complication. And it just changes who we are. So my alert to my clients is just notice. Just notice that, oh, there's a moment. Let's come back. Let's come back. See if I can just introduce a little bit more simplicity and start again. There's a real hack there, isn't there? The difference between complicated and complex and noticing the difference and being wise enough to act on what's holding you back versus what can empower you. They absolutely feel different. Complex feels different to complicated. If you tune in to how you feel and the thoughts that are triggered in a complex situation compared to a complicated situation, they feel completely different. I suspect that's got something to do with how we process information in our brain and we'll, we'll feel complicated, which will trigger some of those neurological threat responses versus mm-hmm. complex, which will keep us engaged and thoughtful and energized and looking for the stimulation, the mental stimulation that comes with problem solving. Absolutely. So impact has also been a key theme for you and part of your life's work over the last 10 years. How would you say to leaders that are listening now, that are maybe struggling to get the impact that they're intending. Well, that's a good start, what you just said there. If they have an intention, that's cool. A lot of people don't have clarity over their intention. They just have this umbrella word, I want to have better impact. What do you mean by that? What sort of impact do you want to have? What's the footprint you want to leave? What's the the change you want to cause in a room to a group of people, to the situation, to the strategy, any thinking to get a little bit more clarity on what your impact is, your intention is important. Starting there, I notice, and perhaps this drove me around my work with the Impact Code and the Impact Book, is people then often jump from, okay, I've got, I've got the impact I want to cause, Now, tell me the actions. What actions do I need to take? And as I unravel in that book, it's a path. Action almost is the the fourth part, driving, causing, forcing action for your impact. And it's interesting listening to your the other uh, shows you've had, different people, different uh, guests you've talked to, they talk about this in different ways too. And for me, it's, Working through the pathway of causing impact, and I use four A's. The first one is attraction, how you attract people to the way you think and getting people aligned to the impact you want to cause so more people are on board with you. So in essence, developing your magnetism as a leader. The second A is creating appetite so people find you, your message, what you stand for, your purpose, alluring. The third A then is advocacy. That's where you start to create people who advocate what you stand for. And you nurture them almost in effect as your cheerleaders, but they start to be part of of what you're causing. And then the final A is action. That's where you start to create change. And almost at that point, the change you want to create, you seek to create, is starting to happen anyway because of the previous steps you've taken. 
I love that, Simon. So many of our listeners will be familiar with the good old-fashioned impact to action gap. What you're talking about here is the kind of three elements that sit before action, which will unlock impact, right? Yeah, and I, I write this, my notes, little impact notes in there, just hacks, if you like, to help people through each of those previous stages. And when you really become desperate to have impact, you're not going to invest in those earlier phases. Just being more authentic, being more authentic on a daily basis, which is you being you truly doesn't feel like powerful enough or fast enough and you won't do it. And if you don't invest in that, the end is not going to happen. The action is not going to happen. You also write about this in your latest book, The Attitude Book. So how do, how do you see that attitude defines our outcomes as leaders? Well, attitude, I love it. I didn't realize it until I said to my publisher, yeah, next one is going to be about attitude. They went, great, okay, here's the deadline, get it written by then. It's like, oh, okay, uh, yeah, it's a big thing. And the more and more I did my research around attitude and how it plays out and looked for examples and stuff that had worked, the bigger and bigger it got. And here's me thinking, I've just got to settle on 50 pieces of advice about attitude. It was a really, the most difficult writing phase of, of all of my books was for the attitude book because it was just so big. You started to get into such a huge area. But I did, obviously successfully managed, and I used their deadline to get me to conclude. And I cut out almost as much as has gone into the attitude book, which therefore leaves me with, oh, I wish I had. And I've written about it subsequently. But attitude is is the magic, if you like, or the the magnet that makes it happen. And attitudes get affected all the time by what's going on around us. If we've got no real sense about what we want back to impact, no real sense about what we want to have impact on, our attitude is going to just drift. And it's your attitude that attracts people and situations and occurrences to your path. If you're clear, when you become clear, and you can narrow your attitude range. And I talk about that when I speak at conferences and events. The first step is often to become aware of the breadth of the range of attitudes that you carry with you and narrow them. Because if you've got from your great day attitude all the way through to your bad day attitude, that's just too great. People don't know where they stand. You attract a mishmash of stuff that just doesn't help you. Narrow the range which takes a little bit of thought to just a little bit more, I suppose it's control of your attitude initially, which then allows you to shift your attitude in the direction you want it to. And that, as I say, becomes magnetic and different things happen when your attitude changes. You see things differently. Your whole body and mind, thought, things you see and feel, the experience is different when your attitude has changed. Right. And it might sound a little cliche, but do you think you can choose your attitude? Totally, totally. At the time when you think you need to, that's often the time when it's most difficult because you realize my attitude's not helping here. That's a really tough moment to change your attitude. Um, another lovely expression people say, the best time to repair a roof is when the sun's shining, but most people wait until they realize, ah, it's the winter. Now's the time to repair my roof. Not a good time. But you can shift your attitude. And it's a choice-based thing, and it's checking in. And maybe when we get to my my three hacks, we'll talk about some techniques that just get you back to the middle of you, 
to become more determined and intentionful. And that's when it starts. And then there's some other pieces I wrote about in the attitude book, which is about your resilience. So your attitude resilience so that it can withstand the pushback you'll get or the counter attitudes, or maybe there's a prevailing attitude in your team or in your company that doesn't feel like the one you want to have as well. And just like groupthink, as people describe it, there is, there's attitude clusters I see in organizations. Be careful. Just notice how that attitude attracts to that team or group or company certain situations, certain occurrences. Synchronicities happen around those attitudes. If you're the leader, you're the one that's going to set the tone, set the attitude. And it takes starting with just a few of the people around you who are aligned. That's when you start. You refer to in your attitude books, there's a lot of this attitude starts with self. And you have something in there called the You Board of Directors. Just tell us a little bit about that. Yeah, I like that one. And that's similar. And again, the people who read all of my work will notice some fairly common threads or, or clusters around which the notes that I write tend to sit. And this is definitely one. The You Board of Directors is it's a moment to, I suppose in NLP terms, they would say <laughs> you're changing your position to to look at the same situation from a number of different angles. That's all. And I was, this came out of a conversation with a, a director in a financial company and he was a bit lost and not sure what to do, a bit stuck. So oftentimes coaches are, are very useful to help people get going, get momentum again through that stuck period. And the you board of directors is a board of directors that is you. But it needs a hedge, a cap change, if you like. So I give the example of the chief executive you. So if you're, if you were the chief executive of you PLC, managing you, your brand, what you do, what you're all about, how would the chief executive get involved? What would their role be? How would they, in general terms, look at how you're doing? What results would they want to report about you? How would they talk about what lies ahead? They would be more strategically interested in what you're all about. Other roles, you might have a chief financial you who would look at the performance, the absolute performance. What are the, what's the personal finance? What's the financial implications of what you're up to? What are the risks involved right now? Where might investment be needed? And then you might have other roles, chief operating officer, HR you, chief marketing you. So if you build that team, and it's it's an opportunity to perhaps take a moment away from your everyday activity on that take yourself away for a, for a board meeting for UPLC and just work through. And I'd always invite people, if you've not got a professional conversation dialogue that you've got arranged with a coach or a trusted colleague, then maybe journal this. So put the chief executive you hat on and write as if you were the chief executive of you for just five minutes. And it's, it's a really interesting exercise that always bears fruit and it just helps people shift the way they view themselves. It's really powerful to do that self exploration thing, isn't it? And see the world from, from a different perspective. Yeah. I'm sure you have this as a frustration with all of my work. Quite a lot of the time people go, Oh yeah, I get that. I really like that. I'm going to do that. And they never do. Those, the difference is the people that make 
the grab, the, the hack in, in your world that works for them, do something with it, work with it, sit with it, reflect on it. If you do that, that makes the difference. So, Simon, at this point in the show, we're going to go to think about your top hacks. Now, ahead of today, you've written in your books over 150. If you include your blog, you're probably way over 200 hacks. And I know that trying to ask you to distill these down to your top few is going to be challenging for you. But what would be the kind of two or three that you think would be my nuggets? Well, uh, there's never one. It's all it's whatever it needs to be for that person in that situation. And it's okay. Well, it's the one, the one. Let's go to the one. And I wrote a simple note, but you inspired this in me. My simple note that came out in the beginning of March was called The One, or The One Thing, which is about this, to look at what would the one thing be. So thank you very much for your inspiration on that. So I'm going to give you three, two from the books, but one is the overarching one, which I'll finish on. The first one is in the Keep It Simple book, which is 3-4-3, which apart from being my favorite football formation, is just a very simple way of looking at what you're all about. And broadly speaking, and I found this in every contact with teams and groups of people through my entire career, broadly speaking, of the 10 things you're up to, three you'll be awesome at. That's the essence of you. Three you'll be absolutely painfully detest and not very good at. Takes too much time and makes you feel bad when you're in the act of those three. And in the middle are the four things that come with the turf of what you're about right now. And you don't know whether they're going to be great things or not. The distinction for people that grow the fastest, that have the greatest impact and results, however they measure results, is you spend more time in your top three, the essence of you. Define what they are. Make those the priority for your week ahead. Be the best version of you. I know people who have, because their life gets filled, it seems to fill from the bottom end up. Those bottom three things, if you spend a day working on those three things, you feel rubbish, you don't like yourself or anyone else around you, and your attitude will change. They do not bring the best out of you. And it's a conscious effort of becoming aware of what my 343 is and spend all the time I can pushing to make sure I'm involved in my top three. Outsource, pay someone, swap or don't do the bottom three things. They are not going to grow you. They are not going to make the difference. They're not going to get you promoted. They're not going to have the impact. It's the top three that does. That's my perhaps my one big nugget. Brief one is pause. And that is powerful. If I listen to perhaps how I, one of the most common things perhaps I introduce into conversations with, with clients is helping them feel more comfortable with pausing and inviting them in their own, in their heads to count to three. And in that pause, it's, it's almost like an awakening. One, two, three. And in that moment, the brain then just starts to relax. You get access to more of your brain's thinking capacity. You hear the question perhaps that you just asked. You have a sense for what the right answer might be. You have a sense of what your other answers might be. It just awakens more. So pause and count to three will be my second. And then my third hack would be what I ended up writing about and talking about in my podcast and my simple note on earlier in March is about awareness. To heighten your awareness for what's going on for you right now. And more and more of what I read about and now I'm writing about is about this, which is 
if you're feeling disgruntled, offbeat, it's okay. Notice it. Notice it, maybe even name it. The act of noticing what you're experiencing and naming it instantly alleviates the power and the grip it has over you just by doing that. Second step in there in the awareness piece is just to become easy. I'm just going to allow that to be. I'm going to accept the fact that I feel like that right now. Those, just those two steps, and there are more steps in this, but those two steps will liberate people from the tough situations they might find themselves in, as opposed to trying to grit and work it through. There's some really fantastic uh, hacks there, practical information and insights people can just take away and start practicing. So thanks for sharing those. In my experience of working with people like yourself and others who have developed a huge knowledge base and capability over time is that it hasn't always been that way. So we call this section Hack to Attack. And this is to explore maybe a time in your life or your work where things didn't go as well. Maybe it didn't plan out as you'd expected. But we're now using that as a tool in our work and our life. Through my life, there's been a number of really challenging situations. And I know, looking back on them, they've all delivered something for me. And quite often it took a lot, a lot longer than just a few days to realize this is a helpful situation. But I'm at a point now, fortunately, where I'm, I've really simplified my life and I'm fairly chilled about most things. And it has come as a result of those situations. And, and there are a number, there are so many. I could probably talk about this one for the, the entire podcast in terms of how I've used them, how I resisted things going wrong and didn't want them to be that way, but then, but then just allowed them to be. But the one I will share was a toughie in my speaking business. All of my speaking has, has gone really well. I've loved my speaking career and I love the challenge of an audience and I've, I've become a little bit known for not necessarily having content. There will always be a path that I'll follow in my speaking business, but not having content or being able just to move with what's working in the room. That came about as a, a result of something that went disastrously wrong in a speaking business where I was speaking at a leadership learning group and it was after dinner. The circumstances were not conspiring very well for me. The food was delayed. The drinking was accelerating. And I stood up and I'd been asked to do something very inspirational for this group of 25, whatever it was, leaders on this development program. And it didn't go well at all to the point that I just stopped and said, this is not going well. I'm going to sit down now and enjoy the rest of the evening. And I just stopped. And I don't know where that voice came from, but that was some kind of an inner guidance in me told me to, to do that. And people were shocked. I said, well, no, 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 this is part of your plan. And I said, no, it's just not going well. This is not going well at all. And obviously I went into my drive home. I remember it was the, there was a train, there was a train strike, I think. So my drive home then was probably three hours on my own in the car in the early hours of the morning. I scoured myself and I tore myself to pieces. I can remember going to sleep when I eventually got home thinking, that's it. I'm never going to do it anymore. I'm never going to do this anymore. Why, what am I thinking? What was I even thinking? And there's a whole piece of, uh, dramatic and nasty, dark introspection. And it took three or four days for me to realize there's a gift in this somewhere. There's an awesome in this awful, as my coach friend Kate would say. 
And I just sat with it and thought, well, just wait for it to come up. What is there for me to learn? And what it was, was it's just confirmed for me that the way I speak at events is totally flexible. I'm, I'm acronym free and arguably I'm content ambivalent. And I was trying too hard to push content to a room full of people that wasn't ready. And that was a great learning for me just to be more fleet of foot and just be me, just be totally real at speaking events. And that served me so well since that time. It's a super story. And I think many of our listeners can resonate with that moment where it's just not working out. The key, of course, in this is that self-coaching and finding that within most problems, there's also a solution, right? Absolutely. So if you could time travel back to when you were 21, and you now had to meet Simple Simon at 21, what advice would you give him? He was having a tough time at 21, I remember. Uh, he, he didn't really know who he was. I, I was in work, and I was just plodding along trying to please people. And whilst that's still an important part, uh, I think my advice would be to tune in a bit more with who I am. And I think all of my thinking was out there on other people. What did they think? What did they want? What do they want me to do? Who do they want me to be? And it meant it was a tough time. I remember 21, that was a tough time. So my invitation perhaps to myself would be go to my edge more often. So tune in to who I am. What is it I want? And the gift now of, of what we know about coaching dialogues, I'd love to have had that then at 21 to have had some kind of a mentor or coaching conversation. Go to the edge. Whatever my edge is, go to there. I think I played safe and I played inside. As much as my career traveled in interesting directions and it, it was great and it served me well, I think more could have happened. I'd want me to believe a bit more in myself. I can remember how self-doubt was a really tough challenge. And that's, that's you know, little bits of that come up every now and then, even at this late stage of my life I'm at now. and. Perhaps finally just decide, decide what you want and head towards it. Because I don't think I just started to decide until probably my late 20s. I could have had a different time, but who knows? I'm pleased with who I am today. And that's the main thing, right? No regrets. Yeah. I should imagine our listeners are have been stirred by what you've talked about and they're starting to think about some of the tools and techniques that you've described. How can they find out a little bit more about your work and where would they ideally go to find that information? Well, there's lots. As I say, the simple notes that aren't in the books, there's many, many of them that I've written, one every two weeks. So at simontyler.com, there's a whole library you can click through and there's funny titles that hopefully will lead you into the ones that are going to work for you. And also the podcast version of all my simple notes is available on SoundCloud, Simon Tyler. If you search that in SoundCloud, you'll find me. So that's, that's probably the best place to go. And obviously the books, grab a book, enjoy the book, whichever one you choose. I'll say there's a number out there for you to, to grab. And Simon, the last thing for me to say is it's been really super talking with you today. There's so much information and and I'm sure that uh, there'll be an opportunity for us to regroup and have a, another conversation about more things that are simple, that are impacting uh, the simplicity in everyday life. So, Simon Tyler, thank you for joining us. Thank you for inviting me. I enjoyed the inspiration you gave me, and I hope that happens again, too. Take care, Simon. Thank you. 
I genuinely want to say a heartfelt thanks for taking time out of your day to listen in too. We do this in the service of helping others and spreading the word of leadership. Without you listening in, there would be no show. So please subscribe now if you haven't done so already. Share this podcast with your communities and network and help us develop a community and a tribe of leadership hackers. And finally, if you'd like me to work with your senior team, your leadership community, keynote an event, or you would like to sponsor an episode, please connect with us via our social media. And you can do that by following and liking our pages on Twitter and Facebook. Our handle there is at Leadership Hacker. Instagram, you can find us there at the underscore leadership underscore hacker. And at YouTube, we're just Leadership Hacker. So that's me signing off. I'm Steve Rush, and I've been the Leadership Hacker. Hacker.